Hey guys, welcome back. BDC Care here. We're back with season seven, episode 23 of our weekly Q&A videos. As always, if you are currently listening to this or watching this, I should say, on YouTube, uh, you can access this in audio only format uh, by visiting the links in the description to check it out on all the major podcasting platforms, which we'll be talking actually a little bit about later. Um, but we normally like to start out with what's been going on in the week. Sometimes we talk about political stuff. Um, sometimes we talk about interesting things that have been happening. Uh, I think this is maybe the most interesting thing in recent memory, other than, you know, when there's sort of big political, personally interesting oh, thing, okay. I think, I know right, for a while. About. Yeah, because, yeah. well, we had to mention it. You have this in the notes, too. We're definitely going <laughs> to... So maybe maybe we'll save it for the end, only because we don't have a lot of questions, and it'll be like a nice teaser. Okay, for... yeah, so instead of instead of answering it, talking about it before the questions, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Uh, and I think also we might include some some pictures. Uh, that's a fun sneak preview, too. Oh, yeah, too. that's true. Um, so anyways, getting into our first question, I'm sort of excited to get to the end now. Um, <laughs> getting into our first question, this is a comment from a Suicide Squad team video that we linked when talking about Suicide Squad Harley Quinn when she appeared as the challenge repeat. And so Junk Mail said... Uh, well, this is good. Do you think replacing Suicide Squad Joker with Lord Joker be good? I think it will be. Harley Quinn with fully evolved Master's Death Guard from next season, as I don't have it yet, and Fourth World Mace and Tantu Totem will benefit from both Suicide Squad Deadshots and Lord Joker's passive. I'm loving a lot... I'm leveling up Suicide Squad Harley Quinn now, and once she's level 50, I will put her in instead of Batman Ninja Catwoman. Yeah. So there we go. So, interesting. So, we're doing something a little bit different, too. If people who are watching on YouTube will see that there's an, a small interlude right now with the Suicide Squad team to demonstrate exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, so, uh, just for anybody uh, who doesn't know, uh, when we're talking about uh, Lord Joker, uh, his passive is Cult of the Demon King, which is when the Joker KOs an enemy for 10 seconds, his attacks deal 100% life drain, and enemy life drain heals him. Gunner teammate special attacks cause 20% damage to the opponent's tagged out teammates. And gunners are Deadshot, Deathstroke, Harley Quinn, Lobo, and the Joker. And so obviously, you know, it's the second part of the passive that right. they're talking about boosting right. Harley Quinn here. Um, so my first instinct was no. My second instinct, after any time I think no as well, is it possible? Because I have some baked in assumptions, right? Yeah. Because uh, I initially thought that the passive for uh, Batman Ninja Lord Joker was on the shooting specials, but then when I read this, the passive a little bit more carefully, um, it's not. Because, you know, Harley Quinn's second special that does damage is dynamite. Yeah, so it's gunner-type people, but it's not right. gun specials only. So I tested it, which is not what we're seeing, and I confirmed that there is splash damage. But because her special two, at least at the level that we've got her at, the maximum damage is 48,000. Now, listen, it's unblockable, right? So 40,000 is not bad unblockable. However, um, if it starts off, if you're only starting off with 48,000, you get 20% splash. Um, max you get is a 40% uh, damage boost. So that's less than 20,000 extra damage. Because that 40%, I think, is from... Um, from dead shots, right? Yeah. Um, or maybe, oh, oh, no, 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 it's a splash. So, all right, so hold on. 20% uh, splash damage from dead shot makes her bomb C4. So we're looking at maybe maximum an extra 80% damage if it's against the first card. So the splash damage would count, right, separately. So yeah. that's 90,000 total damage, less if there are um, fewer cards left on the opponent's team. And what you've seen already now is that that was just a hit, 
not crit, that did 99,000 damage. When it crits, it's doing well over 200,000 damage just mm -hmm. from using the Joker card. Yeah. Um, and so we've made some adjustments in the gears, uh, you know, to boost his special two damage, increasing the crit chance, which clearly isn't 100%, but it's pretty good. And let's see what this last one is. And it's blocked. And blocked, it did 175,219 yes. crit. So you're still dealing more damage with the Joker than you could be with the, uh, well, the other Joker, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. With Harley Quinn. So on Joker, the gears are, were in this demonstration was uh, Heart of Darkness, um, for the 30% boost to Special 2, Fourth World Godly Mace for the 25% boost to uh, Splash Damage on... Uh, no, sorry, boost to Special 2 with um, some Splash Damage. Yeah. Uh, Kryptonian, but it doesn't actually... The effect doesn't matter if he tagged in himself that did it. It really is just to boost the damage, because that's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and the Kryptonian Rifle, which is a 30% crit chance on Special 2 to boost that up. Or, I, I mean, not bad alternative would be demon blade because it not only would it give you crit chance on special two but it also give you 15 percent boost to special two damage yeah and i think one of the reasons why this is pretty much the best you, you're gonna get uh with this team and why swapping out for a different joker would not be as good is what this lets you do is this lets you fully gear for special damage mm. um a different character it lets you basically for all of your special damage offset all those gear slots to a separate character and that lets you boost damage way past or not way past what you normally would but it lets you boost damage absolutely as high as you normally could and then all of the secondary effects of gear like tantu totem and master death cart can still apply so yeah. you can still have all the advantage of getting your power back um and also still have three gears worth of uh special boosting right which right. normally you couldn't get anywhere near that amount of damage and versatility with a single special. So yeah. if you switch out to anybody else, the other effects are cool, but this is almost, it's not broken exactly, but it almost feels like it's not, it doesn't match with what tends to be the way they balance the game, right? right. And it doesn't result in fights that are like, you know, super crazy easy, right? Or that are impossible to right. lose to, but it, it lets you really boost special damage in a way that nobody else lets you. Right, and when we're talking 200,000, that's enough to knock out anybody. So that means you're really making sure she gets her power back on a damaging special. If you're only doing 48,000, there's yeah. a good chance you do your damage and then all of a sudden you have to tag out to get yeah. another, to get your power back from Tenti Totem. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's it makes such a difference in strategy. I think it's hard to justify. I mean, it used to be that splash damage was the thing. Right? Because it made such a huge difference that, especially special one splash damage. Yeah. That um, before there was Tantu Totem, you wanted to get the most out of your bars of power. Now getting the most means getting it back with Tantu yeah, Totem. Yeah, which means loading it up on the person who's currently in and yeah. increasing yeah. your chance to as close to a 100% chance of knocking somebody right. out with your special. Right. So what was cool, I mean, the, my problem was that I wasn't filming when I first started, when I thought, considered the idea and was playing around with it. Um, I did not film it, but there was one where all three actually crit, and it was before I really optimized the gears. So they were each doing 200,000. It was well over 600,000 damage from, you know, the regular Suicide Squad Joker. Yeah. He had zero seconds in the fight. Mm -hmm. Really nice. Um, I so the I guess the the only weakness of that strategy, well, not the only, but one of the weaknesses is against an opponent with a revive. You're not going to get her power back. Mm -hmm. because even though the damage counts as jokers the kill counts as harley quinn's but if they don't if it 
it, she doesn't knock them out. The revive um, means that sorry, the damage taken means that she doesn't get her power back and because the revive is there, they're not knocked out. So yeah. even though you, you could have hoped that because it was Joker's damage and not Harley Quinn's, yeah. that she might get the power back. But, but unfortunately, she doesn't. Right, right. Yeah. Um, it would be totally broken that way. Yeah. Then it would be just an instant win. And we're watching, I mean, in our recent Rebirth video, we talked about how New 52 Wonder Woman is sort of, the more I play with her, the more I make teams with her, she's sort of, to me, the ultimate support card she is yeah absolutely the best only because there's so many other justice league potential members and i think if i feel like harley quinn almost fits the bill when when we were talking about having somebody for other non-justice league characters especially villains yeah to do that and she almost fits the bill but she can only give power to suicide squad team members um and the time it takes to give power she's not doing any damage because she's got that one choice that cycles through where she can give a bar to everybody and she can give a bar to herself. Yeah. And you, you saw that like when you got Astro Harness on, you wanted to be doing stuff like that so you're you're actually making a difference while you're also killing time. Mm -hmm. But it would be so cool because the beauty of New 52 Wonder Woman is you're generating power but you're also knocking people out. Yeah. And it really makes the fight faster. This, you have Probably to spend a bunch of one or the other, yeah. Yeah, you have to spend a bunch of time. It just takes too long. Mm -hmm. So there we go. Our next question or comment i should say comes from gabriel poras and they say basically you can build any team around new 52 wonder woman i guess you could even replace deathstroke on a flashpoint team you would sort of think except the flashpoint team's got a really kind of spectacular synergy where they make each other they all make each other better and you take off even one and the whole team gets worse yeah. And at least one of the other members is also worse for it. Like, all right, first, Flashpoint Batman, you can't take him off. Once you lose the boosted crit damage, then it's pretty much an ordinary team. Yeah. If you take off Aquaman, you don't need his uh, shield the, the you know that reflects on the damage. But what you do need is he's the extra man to give more damage on Deathstroke Special 1 for Pirate Crew. Yeah. Deathstroke, if you take him away, there's nobody with a better special one. So Wonder Woman, yeah, she, she can do a special two. Deathstroke special one is better. And mm -hmm. there's a reason why our Flashpoint team is our go-to grinding team because it's the fastest. The only reason why we use a Justice League team is because it's actually fun to be a bit more engaged and do something that's a little different. And also, um, it's uh, better for Phantom Zone. Mm-hmm. Although, I, I gotta tell you though, um, I've been playing around with this team and doing variations. Like, we've done a MetaHuman Flash variation on this. We've stuck her on Rebirth. I'm playing with another Justice League team, and it is so much fun. And I think we gotta get to it soon, but I don't wanna s do too many spoilers right now before we get to it. Yeah. So, there we go. Uh, so, our next comment from Jeffrey Weffrey, this is another thing that we actually mentioned a little while back when we were talking about things being accessible in podcast format <clears> up <throat> at the top. Uh, so, they say, I listened on the podcast format for about four months, and I finally decided to check out your YouTube channel, probably the best Injustice channel out there. And this question sort of shook me to my core. <laughs> I don't know if that's exact, or it's not a question. It's a, it's a comment. And first off, it's a very nice comment. Because anybody who starts with their podcast and listens to her podcast for four months and then checks out her channel and likes her channel, you know, that's liking two of the things that we do. 
uh and we we you know we super appreciate that right yeah uh but, but is it too, so confused confu- it, it almost feels yeah. like are they are, are we like howard stern like when he says he's king of all media like they're sort of intertwined it's really a youtube channel that we happen to release a podcast a, platform yeah i don't i don't know because i mean the they're seeming to make a distinction between it i want to know and i want to know for jeffrey ruffrey specifically i would love to hear from you um, but also anybody else who happened to do it in that order. How did you find us on podcast first? Yeah. How is that possible? Is it like, did a friend recommend it to you and they recommended you the podcast and not us? Well, it, it seems like the algorithm, it's not possible for the numbers that we're pushing on the, the as a podcast. It's not possible that there'd be any, like ever any kind of recommendation. Yeah. I, I have no clue. So I would love to hear from Jeffrey Weffrey. I don't know if there's another person on this planet currently that is in their position exactly that could say that. But if anybody else also found us from the podcast before. Uh, yeah, we want to hear that story. Yeah. Please tell us how. Uh, so I guess this is just, this is cool. This is something interesting to realize. Uh, and it's another one of those things where it, it doesn't, it's not the same level of like excitement as like right. when... For example, like people started supporting us on Patreon, and we're like, "What? Why? Why? <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Re- are, are you sure?" Um, but it's a lot of the a lot of the conf- similar confusion. Um, right. So we'd love to hear it, and also thank you for the kind words. I guess, but mostly I'm very <laughs> you <confused>. guess. <laughs> oh, okay, like I I always appreciate any kind words, but here the but conf- it's not the, the new confusion part. That's is the, overpowering. Yeah, yeah there's people say nice stuff to us. We're very lucky enough for people to say nice stuff to us on. Uh, what feels like a regular enough basis. Definitely, people say nice things to us at least as much as we deserve it. Probably more. Yes. Um, so the the interesting thing here, the thing that makes us worth talking about, is how how the heck did somebody find us from the podcast first? Yeah. It it boggles the mind. Yeah. So there we go. I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to say about it? No, I, I just, it struck me when when I saw that. Yeah, I thought. it was it was very striking. So there we go. Um, and then our last question we did we motored through them and yeah. we didn't have that many this week well all right so i just wanted about that previous comment from jeffrey referee the only note i put i would how does somebody start with us on podcasts yeah like how is that like it just it's <laughs> also like a less accessible <laughs> yeah no no it's just um yeah it's weird yeah okay uh our next question comes from dark penguin uh or i guess Again, I say double N. I'm used to saying question because it's a Q&A, but yeah, Dark Penguin, double N. And it's also not a question. Uh, they say, sorry, but Raptors ain't winning. I got my money on the Clippers. And we also have a reply to that from ISO or right, ESO. So is it LSO with a lowercase L? So a sans serif font always messes me up. <laughs> okay, it's either it's either ISO, lowercase LSO, or ESO, or ULSO, or something. Anyways, they say... Lakers winning the chip, if you ask me. So we've got three so two different LA teams. Yeah, two LA teams, and then you know, and then you got the Raptors, Toronto boys over here. So it's interesting. So what I've been watching in the media lately is how it's it's so easy for everybody to jump on the bandwagon. So let me just give you a recap because I know you don't follow basketball. At all. Yeah. So last, that's the cool thing about me is I don't jump on the bandwagon at all. Even when everybody <laughs> seemed to be talking about the Raptors, I was like, I don't know what's happening. Well, I know I, of Kawhi Leonard. I, I've been watching Raptors basketball pretty much since the very beginning, back when uh, Damon Stoudemire was a rookie and he was putting up double doubles all the time. And you really see this effect. This is the funny thing to me, right? Because teams, on average, they're scoring more than um, they're scoring more than uh, 100 points a game. Yeah. 
so even on a bad team, which the Raptors were at the point when they drafted, because they put in some rules when they introduced the two Canadian teams, Vancouver and Toronto, so that they couldn't draft higher than, I can't remember what arbitrary number was. And so it kept them pretty sort of um, down, I guess, for a while. And, and they were pretty bad. But Damon Stoudemire was, I think he was, oh, I should have looked this up. I, I'm going by memory. He was averaging almost 20 points a game. Um, he was getting like double, double doubles on assists and points like half the time. And everybody was, oh, yeah, he's a star, he's a star. But part of me was, you know, aware of the, at the time that even on a crappy team, somebody's scoring those 100 points. Yeah. So if there's nobody else to, to, to pick up the slack, you're going to have okay players who are going to have some pretty good numbers. And that really showed when Damon Stoudemire left. And it was, you know, over the years, we've had a lot of um, interesting players and some stars and some not. So what you're saying is that the Raptors are bad enough that you look great just in comparison. <laughs> he looked, he was, he, was, he was a good player on a pretty crappy team. And so your numbers are going to be pretty elevated. So in that context, the Raptors had never um, gotten out of the first round of the uh, playoffs until um, the combination with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. They developed a bit of a reputation for choking it. One one year, I think they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but then got slapped down really badly by LeBron. Like that was sort of a recurring theme. LeBron James' team, he was with Cleveland um, in those years, I think. And... uh, despite whatever their regular season record was, no matter how good, like there was one season the Raptors even won 59 games, one right before they got Kawhi Leonard. And so they they got um, beaten by LeBron's team again. So that was the motivation for blowing up the team a little bit, right? So coach of the year, mm-hmm. Dwayne Casey, f- fired, um, and they replaced him with Nick Nurse. And one of their two stars, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, two stars, they got rid of DeMar DeRozan to trade for Kawhi Leonard. And that was last year. They did a little bit worse in the regular season. They cranked it up in the 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 playoffs. Mm-hmm. They won. That's history. Everybody knows that. But what's interesting was before the beginning of the season, nobody really picked the Raptors to win. Um, they were still sort of the underdogs. And then at the end of that season, they lost two of their five starters. So in basketball, the best players are typically the starters. They have a, a rotation where, you know, because you can't play for 48 minutes nonstop um, at a high level. So they have other players that sub in at different times, right? And part yeah. of the strategy is subbing in the right player, somebody who's good enough, maybe not good enough to get starter minutes, but good enough to, to, to play. So out of the team that was um, the Raptors last year, the five starters, two of them left. Kawhi Leonard, who was their MVP in the playoffs, yeah. and um, Danny Green, who was a good, what they call a 3 and D player. So he's good at defense, which is the D, and three is at three-pointers. Um, and so they were good enough to be the starters. They lost that. Everybody was picking the Raptors to not do so well. There's some people that were picking them to be out of the playoffs. Yeah. And very few of them were picking them to be um, even competitive. Mm-hmm. And guess what? They're doing well. They're doing really well. They had a great regular season. And they were 7-1 and one in what they call the bubble when they restarted and did it, had all the games in Florida. So now all the, all the pundits and all the... Uh, journalists are saying, oh yeah, the Raptors, I think they have a good chance. That's not what Las Vegas is saying, where they are, I think, fourth. They like have a nine to one. I don't know how they do that. the odds for betting and stuff. So there's a, I guess if you bet a dollar, you'll win nine dollars. So that's a low 
yeah. likelihood bet. Um, and they picked both Los Angeles teams and Milwaukee to finish ahead of the Raptors. But now all the journalists are, are looking for, um, you know, a good sound. But, you know, they want to sound a little bit uh, contrarian to have to be a little bit controversial. But they're all being controversial together. So none of them are. That's interesting. Yeah. And you always get uh, a signal boost when you make a uh, wild claim that ends up coming true. <laughs> yeah. uh, there was, I forget what it was. I forget where it was, but there was one uh, place where there was like a relatively like rural almanac had a misprint yeah. in their calendar and they said it was going to snow on a random like summer day. Right. And by some ridiculous amount of luck, it actually did snow on that day. Um, it was, I don't know, remember if it was summer, it was some season where it had not snowed on record on that day of the year for some incredible length of time. Right. And they just got super lucky. And so now, you know, everybody knows that it was like a misprint. Like, right. I don't think anybody is right. laboring under the impression that there's some actual psychic working for the almanac, right? right. right. But that almanac for that town uh, was, became like a must-buy because... Right. Who would, you know, who would have thought? yeah, who would predict a random single day for snow and then for snow to, uh, fall on that day. So if you, if you go for the long odds and you're right, especially if you're right with even, you know, occasional accuracy, you can make a big career out of it. That's one of the things Alex Jones did actually. So oh, one the, of the right wing guy? Yeah. One of the reasons why Alex Jones ended up where he was, was cause he, uh, did some, I think it was like a, uh, prediction of 9-11 okay where you know osama bin laden was already known right had already um done several attacks before right and so there was clips of him before it happened talking about uh, how he was expecting soon another attack from osama bin laden i don't remember what level of detail there was there but that's one of the reasons why he got popular and that's potentially informed why he is the way that he is oh, to right. some extent right, right constantly right. like sort of making weird called shots about conspiracies right and everything. but then when the one uh, successful called shot makes up for all the failures after. Yeah, because you, you only really remember the successes for right. stuff like that. Okay, so there's an interesting scam that plays on that. So there's the idea that, you know, somebody who's looking to get people to invest with them yeah, will send out, uh, I don't know, like 8,000 emails mm -hmm. to different people predicting, making a, a specific prediction about a stock and that it's going to go up a bunch. Yeah. And then on the flip side, it's going to say predicting a stock that's going to uh, go down. Actually, that's not, that doesn't work because what if the stock doesn't move at all? Yeah. Sorry. So one is that um, they're going to make two predictions about uh, stuff that are opposite. Yeah. And half of them are going to be wrong and half of them are be right. So on the right ones, you make another prediction yeah. and then half and half and you keep on doing that for a few times. So by the time you've winnowed your 8,000 down to you know, you do like three iterations, that's down to 1,000, fourth is down to 500, five is down to 250. Yeah. You've got 250, 250 people who've seen you. Who thinks make, you're magic. Like, yeah, like so many predictions in a row. Um, and so those people become ripe for um, exploiting because they think you know something and you've got some sort of special pros, not, pros, prognostication. Prognostic, oh, I forgot the G, prognostication prognosticatory <laughs> abilities <laughs> took you a minute I don't it took <laughs> so um yeah so it's the idea that and so, so here's the thing right a lot of those pundits nobody keeps track of how often they were right yeah and so nobody really notices 
but I've the, again one of the, one of the things that um, some some interesting facts about the Raptors team is yeah. that um, every team that's won uh, the NBA Finals, if they have had a subsequent season where they improved in all their number, like they improved in terms of their um, defense, their offense, yeah. their win total, something like that. I can't remember because their win total actually, or their win percentage actually went up mm-hmm. uh, this year. I mean, it, because it was a shortened season, they missed 10 games. They were on a pace for 60 games, but they really only won, I think, 53 instead yeah. of 58 likes last year. But that if, if a team did that, they won the finals the next year. So I think it's looking pretty good. So if they improved all their stats, they won the finals the next year? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so they were better than the year before. But the, I mean, it sort of does. But I mean, a lot of it is luck, right? When you talk about like a short series yeah. of seven games, that sometimes it's not the better team that wins, but the, the healthier team or the better at that moment team. Yeah. Milwaukee so. lost to... Milwaukee, number one entire league, lost to the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, this is interesting. What you've just been talking about here has reminded me of something related to sports... Um, but also sort of related to uh, how people end up being tricked by uh, the way that their brain works a little bit, which I think okay. is cool. So there is a, I forget what it's called. I think it might be called the 2K curse. Um, but Oh, is that one? Okay. Is this talking about disaster preparation? No, no, okay. no, no. This is, I forget what the specific name is, but the um, like NBA games. Oh, okay. All right. Um, Basically, I was thinking Y2K when you said it start, might not be Y2K. It NBA might be 2K. the no, those games. Are... What are the but what are the games called? Madden, maybe I forget what it's called. But anyways, the point is that people who show up on the boxes yes. of those games, right, are famously unsuccessful. Um, unsuccessful afterwards, like they yeah. get injured or something happens, right? right they they right. T- have a fall from grace after they appear on the box right, part, right. and so one of the main reasons this happens, you know, part part of it is sometimes. The coincidences happen no matter what. But one of the main reasons this happens is that when people are shown on the boxes, they are at the exact top of the game. They tend to be, right. uh, you know, really special. Within the league, they're one of the best players. And it's hard and to stay there. Do you know what uh, regression to the mean is? I think I do. That so, means that because if they had a special season, not necessarily because they were that much better, but because they just got lucky and they had yeah. a ball fall their way one time, or they... Uh, something's happened in their favor that made them better that yeah, year. Yeah, so regression to the mean basically just means that when you have a less common event at yeah. either end of the scale, good or bad, the next event that happens after that is likely to sort of move the needle back towards whatever right. average is. Right. And so this comes up in a lot of different places, um, and it can trick you into thinking uh, in certain ways that aren't actually helpful. So one of the things that they talked about is um, for training people. Uh, a lot of people who yell at other people, they go, when somebody screws up and I yell at them, they don't screw up after that as much, right? Right. Um, and so to them, it seems like it makes sense. You know, somebody messes up, you yell, they stop messing My up. yelling was successful. Yeah, your yelling was successful. Um, but they look at it and if you're, if you're nice, it's actually better off because, you know, even if it's exactly the same, the employees feel better. But what they found is screwing up, making a mistake, and, you know, the more somebody yells, the bigger the mistake it was, right? The more they feel like it's effective. Mistakes aren't super common when people get used to their jobs. Right. So if you yell, 
they're less likely to do it again. If you don't yell, they're less likely to do it again. If you're nice about it, they're less likely to do it again, and they like you better. So right. they're more likely to be better for you in other ways. Right. So um, when people are rude like that in um, punishing mistakes, uh, it it feels like it works in the same way that, you know, it feels like a lot of the people who get put on the NBA boxes, those game boxes, covers... Do worse. Um, do worse because right. they're up there. But in both right. cases, it would probably happen to them anyways. And you would actually see potentially even the opposite effect if you had, uh, you know, up-and-coming players, people who hadn't reached their full potential yet, and you are putting those people in the game boxes, right. you'd be just as likely to see the reverse effect where those people, it's like, oh, a lot of them actually do a lot better. I want to be right? in that they, box. Yeah, because then, you know, you know, a couple of years later, they're, they seem like they're reaching their prime, right? Just yeah. as uh, where if you've got somebody who's good at, you know, seeing uh, potential future talent, right? right? Putting them on the box would, would have the opposite effect where it's more just that somebody good enough to be on a video game box for that sport for that year is unusual. It is unusual right. that anybody's that good. And in a sea of people who do this full-time, who it is their job, and who are the best people in the world at this thing, the right. best person out of that is spectacular, and you can't right. do that without at least a little bit of luck. Right. And so that's why the people on that box always sort of go back to the meeting. And I think that, that speaks to the same sort of way that the way our brains work, right? right? Where simple probability can look like something really special when you frame it in the right way. Right. Yeah, or look like something it's not. And I'll speak to baseball too, right? Because a lot of baseball, at least, the, the I think the random events are way more important. Somebody was saying, if you just, one of the hits that you, or one of the outs that you make each week yeah. dro uh, drops in for base hit instead once a week. Um, it does something ridiculous to your uh, batting average. Like, raises it by, like, 20 or 30 points. Yeah. Out of, you know, so the difference between a 270 hitter and a 300 hitter is a huge. Like like, one lucky shot a week. And it might even be something bigger. I can't even remember what it was. Yeah. But that, uh, so especially in baseball, the fact that um, when somebody has a really great season, they can still be good, but they may not have, I mean, that's why somebody like a real superstar like Mike Trout is so special. Yeah. Because of consistent year in, year out production, despite all the other stuff, which tells you that a lot of it isn't so much exceptional events as he's really just that good. Yeah. So I, I guess what that speaks to is that different sports have a different focus on either the sort of mistakes that happen or the lucky things, right? right. And in really high-scoring games like basketball, yeah. I think mistakes are probably more damaging, right? Where if people are going to be scoring highly, right, your people have good high stats. And it's if you screw something up, like you get injured or something like that, matters a lot more right. than sort of playing... Uh, and making some good plays because you make a lot of good plays in, right. in games no matter so, what. This is why basketball is so much fun to watch. I was talking to a friend of mine who doesn't watch basketball but watches other sports. And I think I was yeah. explaining to him. So, but basketball, look at the score. What's fun to watch in a game when you're watching sports? When scoring happens. Yeah. And so there's so many more opportunities for somebody to make a spectacular play that has an impact. So you look at hockey, people can make plays. If there's no goal involved, you have a, like a 2-1 game. Yeah. How much, or soccer even, mm. or f as the Europeans would call football, um, how, how many times do you, there's lots of plays throughout, and I guess if you appreciate the game, scoring doesn't matter as much yeah. to you, but for the casual viewer, scoring is great, and seeing lots of great scoring um, plays in basketball is so much fun. 
Yeah, and that I think definitely uh, also yeah, and like for the example I said, like basketball, it's probably a game where the mistakes matter a little bit more in changing the tide of the game, whereas in baseball where there's a lot of failure built in, right? Your yep. stats aren't that high. It's those lucky positive events right. that actually matter a lot right. more to the uh, course of individual games and like long-term player stats. And that definitely extends to into uh, multiplayer video games, I think, a lot. I, I See, I don't play Rocket League. I've been watching some Rocket League YouTubers recently, right. and I heard one pro was talking, and they're like, you know, everybody's at such a high level right. in the game that when you have a professional match, everybody's so good and it's so hard to see any openings. Everybody's defense is pretty good, and people are good at reading everybody else. And so when you get into an actual professional match, uh, as soon as one team scores a goal, the other team is like, oh, we basically lost. Because oh, they're so evenly matched right? Uh, that it's really hard for either of them to sort of wrestle control. So that's a really low point-scoring game where if somebody makes a mistake... Uh, and the person who you're playing against is able to capitalize on that, where the mistakes are much more significant in figuring out the course of the game because if you guys are both playing well, nobody's scoring. And right. one person leaving an opening is how the game ends, is somebody messing up and somebody else being able to capitalize on that, at high-level play at least. And I thought that was really interesting. Right. Because that, that reminded me a lot of, uh, you know, some of the conversations that we've had about sports. And I mean, Rocket League is probably like the closest analog to sports and video games yep. directly because it's, you know... It's a very highly skill-based sports. Like, it is a sport. It's just not a sport that you're sort of actively expending any effort in. It's Well, it's different. So here's the thing. I've seen this argument, and I, I the more I see it, the more I believe it. Yeah. That a lot of the players that would be good in one sport would be really good in other ones, barring whatever kind of physical attribute advantages, like being really tall. Like, Jose Altuve is a great athlete. He's a star baseball player, but because he's so short, he would not be a great basketball player ever. Yeah. Well, he might. I guess there's Spud. All right, so you hear about the guy, Spud Webb. He was like five foot something, like not much. He could dunk the ball. He actually dunked in a game. Wow. Okay. Um, so barring those kind of um, physical attributes that give you a, a much bigger advantage, that a lot of what comes down to making athletes good yeah. is their hand-eye coordination. That was the case with Michael Jordan, wasn't it? Yes and no. Okay, Michael Jordan. So did you watch Last Dance? No, I didn't. Okay, so uh, I remember this happening when it was happening. I mean, I was watching, I was paying attention to to basketball and baseball when he took a year off right after the Bulls had won three NBA finals in a row. Yeah. And part of me thinks that if he hadn't done that, he never would have won the other three. Like he couldn't, I don't think their team could have won six in a row because there's something that about maintaining that level of excellence that really is draining. Yeah. So he... Went... And also, it's got to be more stressful with each year. There's got to be more yeah. and more pressure on you, yeah. right? When yeah. you're like the star player uh, that's bringing your team, you know, to win and that all that pressure on your back. And some people thrive under that, but I think there's a certain point where you get diminishing returns and it really right. does have to right. sort of take something right. away from you. So he went to... Because the owner for the Chicago Bulls, and I'm going to screw some of this up because it's not like I really pay attention to it. This is all by memory. Um, so the owner of Chicago Bulls also owned the minor league, or owned the Chicago White Sox and the minor league team. So kept paying Michael Jordan his salary as a basketball player while he was in the minor leagues. And Michael Jordan had an okay start. Um, he got a few hits, but... Ultimately, season, if you just looked at the, the numbers, yeah. wasn't that successful. I think he hit like just over 200. 
Um, but when you think about the time that people put in to train themselves for the specific sport and the mm-hmm. skills for that, he um, was doing really good for just swapping. Like, yeah. And there were people, I mean, there were people that they got in the last dance to say, I mean, I'm sure they could have gotten somebody. I don't know how accurate it was, but they were saying that, um, if he, they believe that if he'd had more than just that one season, yeah, he could have developed into, he would have made it to the major leagues. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's going to be fringe players, but I think all the really good, you know, they don't have to be Hall of Famers, but maybe all-star players potentially have the ability. They just need to train their bodies to develop the, the, the strength, the specific strength and the specific skills. But a lot of the successful athletes have the kind of fine motor control yeah. that, that they need. And that brings me back to you talking about professional esports. So I think the, the best esport players do have the coordination that potentially they could be athletes, but maybe for whatever reason they're in video games, maybe because that was more accessible to them. Yeah. Maybe they have some physical limitations that would make it hard for them to play sports. Um, but that their their ability, the integration... There's a certain amount of analytical mindset that matters. Yeah. I think one of the things that makes it different in video games versus sports is that video games can be so different in what they present you with, your method of interaction and what you're actually balancing, what data you're balancing. Yes. So I think... In some cases, there are some people who's... Because in sports, I think they're all similar enough that if your mind is uh, sort of tuned to understand one, right? They're, they're, the similarities in terms of what you're doing, the information that you're managing, like teams of people doing stuff, It, I think it's... It's not homogenous, but it's. I think it's more homogenous than video games, I would say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respectfully... So I heard something about LeBron James. Yeah. Which was really interesting about that. And it ties into, all right, so data compression, mm-hmm. right? How JPEGs are compressed uh, data for pictures, MP3s are compressed data for audio. Yeah. That somebody was interviewing LeBron James and had this insight saying that the LeBron, LeBron's ability to remember stuff about a basketball game is, like, incredible. Like, when he looks, they're talking about a specific game, he could remember where somebody was, what they were doing, what yeah. would happen... And I think part of it is that because it is so, you, you've had so many years of, of playing, you're able to take in the data, yeah, pull out what is important without making a lot of conscious effort, and then use that quickly. Yeah, like you basically have like a pr- good predictive algorithm for like how people play. Right, so the, like there's, there's visual cues that they can pick up on without almost without being aware of it and they can actually integrate it so it'd be to me it's it's like data compression where there's so much going on but they're able to pull up what they need to give you the most important part of the picture and then take advantage of that because of all the other parts that they've done to become good at the game yeah right practicing shooting practicing whatever ball handling all that stuff. Mm-hmm. There's another point I was going to make that was sort of related about how when you get really good at it, but I, I, it totally evades me. I, I might come back to it if it pops into my head, but that there's that kind of specializing makes a huge difference, right? Because I'm sure that those kind of skills wouldn't translate into another game. And the, oh, Dennis Rodman. So Dennis Rodman is got in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Somebody who writes articles for 538 made a statistical. Um, argument about why he was the best player um, of all time only because he was so good in this one area 
And when Dennis Rodman was interviewed in The Last Dance, I was listening to this and he was saying part of the reason was he just practiced. So he would pay attention to how people would shoot. He'd know this person would shoot with this kind of rotation or this this hard or whatever. So he'd yeah. anticipate when the ball was coming up that if it missed, he had an idea of where it was going to go because he practiced so much just watching it. So he was... And, and nobody ever was as good. I mean, people. some people had more rebounds, but nobody had a greater percentage of the rebounds in a game that were potentially available as a percentage out of everybody on yeah. the, the, the floor as Dennis Rodman. So he... You're talking about like he was getting the highest sort of score, like if, if we talk about like almost like it's a test, right? Where right. The, every rebound, uh, other people would have a higher number of rebounds, but out of the total number of rebounds, he would get the highest percentage of them. He'd get the yeah. highest, right, so you know, rating on the test. Not in his game, but it, I mean, historically, there used to be there used to be more possessions per game. There used to be a higher pace, the, the so there would be more potential rebounds and missed shots. So that's talking about different eras. So in different eras, there might be people who had higher um, number of rebounds, but only because there were more missed shots. Yeah, so, so as, there in, were more in, rebounds. In his era, he was the best rebounder. Mm-hmm. And when you compare eras, he was better... Proportionally. Proportionally than anybody else. And listening to him in the interview in Last Dance, that to me is sub-specializing so much that he becomes amaz- so amazing in this one area that he is head and shoulders about anybody else who was good in that area yeah. to the point that so let's say Michael Jordan is the best player ever the guy was making a statistical argument that because the things that Michael Jordan brings to the table other players are good at not as good but good at yeah. that he was more replaceable there would be a, a smaller drop off going from Michael Jordan to a different Hall of Famer than with similar be, skills right with similar skills than going from Dennis Rodman to anybody else who had similar skills because nobody had skills even close to being as good as him he was the person who would be hardest (laughs) to replace on a team exactly and everybody else was sort of good in similar ways whereas he was good in a a whole unique way that was an asset and you know just like anybody else right it's basketball could never be a full team versus one person no matter how good somebody is you need to be integrated in a good team for it to work or at least a, a good enough team well that's why some of the counting stats in basketball can be so misleading, right? Because, like I said with Damon Stoudemire, he's got great counting stats on a team, on the Raptors, when they were an expansion team, because somebody has to score. Yeah. And might as well be him. Because he was the best player on a not-great team. Mm-hmm. So... That's interesting. Yeah, it is. It blew me away when I first read that article about Dennis Rodman before he got in the Hall of Fame about how you know he was the best rebounder of all time. He made the biggest difference in the teams. They were, this was when they were first starting to look at the advanced stats for basketball in ways to try to figure out how much people were actually contributing. Yeah. And Dennis Rodman was the best in so many ways because there, he was actually on a bunch of different teams. So he made the biggest difference on crappy teams, which you expect with a good player. He also made the biggest difference on good teams. So he had an impact making bad teams better and great teams better, more wow. so than any other player. Okay, so that's interesting. Yeah. So the, yeah, I, I think higher level data analysis like that is so cool because a lot of times you learn stuff that's really not necessarily intuitive. And once you find the result, you're, you're left sort of going, huh, okay why and you when you already know 
when you find when you use the data to tell you the truth right <laughs> and it yeah. does not match what your intuition would tell you yeah um you could have the opportunity to find really really cool and interesting uh, underlying reasons right right where you go oh okay and you would have never thought about it if somebody asked you the question you didn't have the data in front of you you might have said something that was totally different right right but knowing that there has to be this is happening and there has to be an explanation for it and using that to find the explanation yep. uh, can lead you to some really fascinating stuff well this is why to bring it back to injustice then to me um the the data the higher level dates to the ultimate data is how fast you win the games yeah. winning the games and how fast you win so the win percentage and speed and <clears throat> so that's why i think whenever whenever anybody talks about team composition i think you cannot have an answer for whether this team is good or better or best yeah because you're you your intuitive it. understanding and the practical outcome don't necessarily match up right Right. Yeah, and it's it's very rarely in such a stark way right. as the stuff that we talked about here. But I think in right. life, it also very rarely is such the stark way as it's so, matched un up here. Until we got Master's Death Cart, it wasn't obvious that it was a power generating gear. Until we got Enchantress, it wasn't obvious that even though the specials didn't look like they were disabled, it would disable the specials. There used to be gears that would have like a I don't know like some sort of ridiculously low chance of disabling gears, and it would only last for a few seconds. Yeah. Enchantress lasts less than that, but it's almost guaranteed every time. Yeah. I mean, only if they're invulnerable that the, and the skulls don't come in, you don't do any damage, that, that it doesn't disable their specials. But it does. And that's the kind of thing where if you don't play it and you just go by looking at the sort of the, the easy part to see, which is, oh, so... It does it, damage. Yeah. Skulls come and do damage. Lots of stuff right. does extra damage. Right. Yeah. Right. So we... Yeah. So that's why whenever somebody asks about a team... It, I think it unless you've already played it a lot, you have to play it to really be able to answer. Well, does this work? Yeah. Past that, here's what I think would happen. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. That I think is an interesting conversation that went a lot of places just from people saying that our team was not going to win. And by our team, I mean your team. Right. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Listen, I I'm not bandwagoning here. Like I said, I uh, <laughs> there was a time where it felt like really everybody but me. Right. Uh, and there, there's still some other people. I know there's always people who don't care, but it was really sort of like a cultural phenomenon. And it's not that it was like a point of pride. I don't think right. um, it was better to not. There was, for right. a lot of people, even for the people who were just bandwagoning, it was a lot of excitement. There was right. a lot of community. I think it was a net positive thing. Right. I'm just saying I couldn't bring myself to care about the Raptors. Not that, <laughs> right. not that I was like, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm too cool for sports. I think sports right. are great. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff. I, uh, but I, I'm, I'm saying it like it's a point of pride really yeah. when it, maybe it shouldn't be, but and, I, uh, and I've got a funny attachment to them because I remember when the expansion team came out, I was, I was, um, working in a rural area. So I was away from family and I was living, um, in a colleague's basement yeah, and there. This was during the winter, and there was in some of the evenings there was nothing else going on, uh, except Raptors games, and I would watch the Raptors games. There we go. So I yeah I I've got you know a, a loyalty to the team. Yeah, that has more to do with the Raptors than it does with them winning now. I guess because of you, I do have a secondhand loyalty to the team. But uh, other than how I would be disappointed if a lot of people I know who like sports would be disappointed. I don't really have much personal right. stake in them. Right, right. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. So there we go. And now we're uh, going to get, uh, we're getting to the exciting part. Yeah, the, yeah, so the most exciting part. I'm going to note 
we talk, start talking about it at 47 minutes and 22 seconds so we can put some pictures in. Uh, but we uh, have been... I don't even know how to phrase this. We have been chosen uh, by a cat. So this is interesting. Can I maybe give a bit of background? Yeah, I, sure. I've never, I've never had a pet except for fish in an aquarium. That, and that's not what most people mean by pets. Yeah. Most people mean something that you can interact with more than just looking at them. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing more than looking at the fish and interacting with them, you're doing it wrong. So, you know, like the common things being cats and dogs and mm-hmm. then other furry animals and other not-so-furry animals, like maybe cold-blooded reptilian things. Mm-hmm. So that's my background. No experience with animals except for cat sitting, I guess, feeding the cat of our neighbor when they're Yeah, and so you, you like animals. You have no issue with them. Yeah, and I don't... Yeah, when they're... You know, when they don't mind you, you tend to feel, right. you know, you tend to reciprocate whatever they sort of, whatever energy right. they give sure, you. Sure. Yeah. So on Sunday, yeah, a cat wandered into our backyard. It was sounding like it was upset and there were crows harassing ha- it. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of crows calling at it and we heard just a bunch of meowing. Uh, so when we went outside... Uh, this little orange tabby, and around about here, I'm sure you're looking at pictures right now if you're on YouTube, if you're currently on the podcast, uh, this is something that's worth, if you want to see a cute orange cat, if you care, I would highly recommend the pictures. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's this cat being crossed by crows, and uh, so he just sort of comes over to us, uh, a little bit skittish for like a few minutes, but right. very, very quickly, Yeah. like, no fear fully curious just like Sk- skinny, right on us no collar skinny cat to the you know to, until you get close enough to check him out it's hard to tell whether it's just young or like starving unhealthy. yeah yeah and so it turns out it's just very young uh yeah and he is just ridiculously affectionate so he was climbing all over us he fell he's fallen asleep in both our laps multiple times okay. and we've spent like two days so the first day that night you sat down in the grass with it, and it, it was all over you. And yeah, get and that, that was the that was the first time I think he crawled up and fell asleep in someone's lap, and I was just sitting right. on the ground. So the next morning, I'm out doing some some uh, work in the backyard. It's following me around. It finishes eating, and it's hanging around. So I think, yeah, I don't want to get on the ground, but I'll sit here with you for a little bit. And yeah. I start petting him. Climbs in the chair with me. Yeah. The, again, um, and then the next day. It had rained, so all the chairs were wet. Yeah, we we set out a little area for it, like an, uh, a place that it could sleep where it was dry. Right. Just for anybody who's worried about us leaving the cat out in the... Right, so but so I didn't want to sit down, but I thought, you know, I might as well give this um, animal company, started petting, I squatted down, started petting it, climbs up into my lap while just I'm squatting, squatting down. Yeah. And then it falls asleep on me again because I, I had my arm down and it just rested on me. Very, it was, I, I've never been tempted to have a pet like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I am tempted now. So ultimately, I think, I mean, we, there's a few things that happened in between. I mean, we were able, to, originally the first time we got some food from neighbors. So that's, we were able to, to feed him. And so, you know, we, we weren't worried about him starving to death. Mm-hmm. We took him. I don't even know. Is it a him or? It's a him. A, we, we know the gender okay. of the cat now confidently. Okay. Um, and we had the vet check to make sure there wasn't a chip. There wasn't. And so we're seriously thinking of, um, adopting. Adopt- yeah. Cause I mean, clearly this, I think 
it, it's not an unfair assumption to say just because it, it's so good around people that it's had some experience with people. Yeah, so I guess the thing, so it's, you know, the first night and the second night, uh, we did leave it outside because, you know, one of two things happened, which is either it came from a home, right. uh, came to our place, in which case it has a home that it can go back to, yeah. and we don't want to keep it in the house right. and prevent it from getting to its home. Yeah. Uh, the second option is that it is used to outside, uh, <laughs> and in which case we don't need to take it in the house. There's no sort of... Um, undue safety need that's been different from this cat's earlier life right right and either way it seemed like taking it inside especially when we don't have the equipment right we don't have a litter box we don't have anything so keeping it inside uh was either not necessary or not the right choice or both right right um and so it was outside and so the the update for today this is really recent and so as the story is progressing what's happening right now is uh they are at a shelter being checked out by the vet, we had um, a very nice and lengthy conversation with both um, the woman who intake? Uh, took calls, yeah, yeah, intake, the intake lady, um, about what would happen, what the process is, what the facilities are like, how traumatic it is for them and everything. And then we also had a absolutely wonderful gentleman come out to take the cat itself who, um, you know, spent a good, like, half an hour in our backyard right. talking right. with us, giving us his opinions on... Uh, best practices for raising cat if we did choose to adopt right. um and then also just like befriending uh the cat before right because putting it, him in the box to make sure that he was carrier. okay yeah because that it, to me i mean there's certain things that i mean i don't know how surprised i should be the fact that the cat was totally willing to go into the carrier with really no guff when we took him to the vet the first time to look for a chip yeah the fact that the He's so careful with his claws. Yeah, where he really makes an effort actively on our bare skin not to pull out his claws at all to scratch us. Right. So he, he grabbed my shirt near the collar with his claws to hang on. It didn't scratch me at all. Yeah. And he reached out his paw without the claws to play with the stubble on my chin a little bit just to check it out. Yeah. Um, climbed up on my bare legs to get up on me without claws. Yeah. I mean, that's that was kind of cool. It's very well behaved. So the person who picked him up said he almost certainly has been domesticated so there's at some point he spent time in some house but from the way that we were interacting with the cat when uh we picked him up he was like i you know there's just a decent chance that he likes you guys enough that he doesn't actually want to leave and go back to wherever it is he's supposed to be right um so he's there he's getting checked out he's going to spend the next uh couple nights there uh he's got a good space large enclosure uh minimal amount of being cooped up he's not going to be in with uh other cats directly so he's safe uh, they're feeding him, they're checking him out with the vet, and that's just an opportunity for if there's anybody looking for him, right. uh, they get like 90-something percent of those calls right. uh, to the place that he is at right now. Right. Um, and then after that, we're going to have the opportunity to potentially yeah. uh, take him back. So, I mean, I'm not averse to the idea of animals in general, but I'm not positively inclined in general, only because it's a large group of different animals. They all have different personalities. Yeah. But I am I'm positively inclined to this one cat because he is just so. It's like how you feel about people, right? You yeah. like people generally, but what, if somebody said, "Hey, do you want a roommate?" Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. you'd be like, "Well, I don't." That depends a lot on the roommate. Yes. That depends more, maybe yeah. more on the roommate than the the platonic idea of a roommate. Right. So I what I'm I so I know after you know sort of cat sitting or or whatever you call it, for our neighbor. Yeah. I know sort of the, the work part 
And I'm also intellectually aware of the chance that the cat's going to potentially destroy a bunch of furniture as it yeah. stretches its claws and stuff. The only thing I'm really um, wary of is that vomit. Like, a lot of cats know how to use a litter box. It keeps it all there. It's pretty easy to clean yeah. if they don't start peeing and pooping everywhere else. It's that when they have to cack, they don't go in their litter box. They just go wherever. And yeah. their cack looks like poop. It, it has it's the consistency of very yeah. loose poop. I had to clean some. Um, the, the cat actually cacked outside, and I didn't want to leave yeah. it underneath um, <laughs> where we were walking. So I, I cleaned it up, but it's it's kind of gross. And I'm, yeah. that idea does not appeal to me. So I guess here's where the, the other information that we have. So we've been just referring to it as the cat. We did take an opportunity to name it. Oh, I, I don't, we don't want to take a chance that somebody's going to look around different SPCAs. Oh, that's true. And, and pick up that. That's true. That's so not, we shouldn't share its name. Okay. Never yeah, mind. No, that's not. We will, if it, whatever we ultimately decide when the opportunities are gone, I think it's worth it. I think right now we don't want to, this is one reason why we don't want to dox ourselves. That's true. So nobody can take our cat. Yes. <laughs> well, not, not our cat, but potentially our cat. It, it feels like it though, right? Yeah. We do I have first dibs anyways, but, but it's amazing for the time be, because it feels like there's just so, such a, uh, uh not, there's no judgment involved, right? So when the an animal um, trusts you yeah. and is close to you, it's sort of unconditional. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, it's even more amazing because t- the experience I've had with cats is that they're relatively standoffish as a group. They're pretty withholding of affection. They're yeah. not super eager to tell you how great you are. Right, right. Yeah. So... Maybe we won't put the pictures of the cat only because we don't want people to be able to identify it. And uh, no, I think we can put pictures. Really? In. Okay. Yeah, because people people won't be able to identify from that. What 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 are you worried about here? I think people will be jumping all over trying to adopt that cat, knowing how good he is. No, I don't think so. I because th- we have we have first dibs no matter what. I guess for that's bringing true. for bringing him in. Right. So they can't unless we say no and then change our mind. So yeah. we we will put up pictures of cats. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to deny people that. We did promise. I think also we could tell people the name, but if you're more comfortable without it, I think we'll wait. We'll hold off. It'll be a week. We've got another Q&A next week. Okay, so yeah, we'll we'll continue with cat updates. Uh, I guess let us know in the description uh, or in the comments, sorry, what you think we should do with the cat. We know that probably if anybody's going to say anything, they're like, keep the cat. Uh, But we'd still like to hear what people think. Uh, But yeah, so that's that's what's been going on with us. It's, It's pretty, I find it pretty exciting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, biggest biggest life change in the last little bit outside of going to school, right? For you, yeah. But that you know hasn't happened yet. It'll still be a while out still. But yeah. Uh, so there we go. And that is everything we want to talk about this week. Our cat discussion managed to eat up that rest of the time. Uh, so to finish up, got some people. They'd like to say some words about and or two. Uh, first off, a quick shout out to Eliza Adopt the Cat Kitten. She wants us to adopt the cat, uh, surprisingly enough. Uh, this shout out has been brought to you by a kitten deciding he wants to live here now. Uh, we'd also like to give a huge thank you to everybody who has supported us on Patreon. So that is Consul Peasant and Ed Woon, who are supporting us at the highest tier last word. Mohamed Albshady at the Your Message Here tier. Sean Farrell, Daniel Simonson, Aaron Mall, Michael DeVries, Brandon C., and Irvin Ruiz, who support us on the credit level. And Chris Wolf, Scarlet Danny, Awesome Gamer 2 for 1, and Pavu RS at the Gratitude level. There we go. Thank you guys so much for watching or listening, and we'll see you next time. Komoda. Komoda.